0: If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop the product, making
1: any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible; it's often very costly.
2: A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country
1: and ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, educators and innovators, welcome to the electrifying season 3 of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with your dynamic host Mike P and Dana We're not just here to make waves, we're here to ride the tidal waves of your incredible support to the 21,000 strong downloaders and listeners who joined us on this incredible journey. We tip our hats to you. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement fuels the very heartbeat of our mission. This season, we're not holding back. We're unleashing a tsunami of valuable insights, strategies, and practical wisdom that will effortlessly weave into the tapestry of your educational institutions. Whether you're ready to implement change today or set sail on a journey of profound exploration, trust us, we got you covered. For the inside scoop of upcoming events and certification opportunities that rock your world, Point your browsers to iss.edu slash events. Are you ready to ride the podcast wave of a lifetime? Mike P and Dana are here to make it happen. Let the learning adventures begin. ISSEDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, Season 3. Dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, educators and change makers, welcome back to another episode of EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, brought to you by ISSEDU. I'm your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer, alongside my co-host, Dr. Dana Sperko-Watt, who is the Director of Learning, Research, and Outreach at ISS. Dana, how are you today?
4: I'm doing great, Mike. How about yourself?
3: I'm here. Weather check.
4: Ouch! <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I'm here. I'm just here.
3: <laughs> What's the weather looking like by you, Dana?
4: It was a little cold out on the water this morning, but it, uh, it was quite beautiful start to the day.
3: Have the leaves started falling yet or no?
4: Yep. All over my yard.
3: (laughs) Something to clean up soon. We also have Molly Faye with us here, who's serving as the voice of the audience. Molly Faye is the customer support and technology coordinator at ISS. Molly Faye, how are you?
4: I'm great. It's a really lovely morning here. So thanks again for having me, you guys.
3: Thanks for being here, Molly hey, and welcome back, listeners. This is season three, episode seven of our podcast. We want to express our sincere gratitude, of course, once again, for your unwavering support. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, give us a thumbs up and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platforms. You, We can be located on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and numerous others. Our mission here, of course, is to provide you with valuable insights and practical strategies for your educational institutions. This season has been brimming with illuminating discussions and actionable insights, and this episode should be nothing less than that. Be sure to stay tuned and informed on our website for any upcoming virtual events and certifications. Our website is issedu slash events. Also for career opportunities, you can also explore our virtual and in-person job fairs. Now let's discover and learn. Today, we have the privilege of hosting a sectional guests, Tanai and Natasha. Both have recently shared their knowledge and expertise through a recent course of ours. That course, we had the opportunity to reflect on our workspace or school environments to identify potential barriers and areas of improvement. Our discussion today centers around designing equitable environments for diverse identities. But before we get exploring, let's go ahead and get acquainted with our guest for today, Tanai, who's and Indian and Canadian TCK is currently the secondary school deputy principal for teaching and learning at UNIS Hanoi. Natasha is an accomplished educator with a wealth experience in international schools currently serving as the deputy principal at UNIS Hanoi. Greetings to you guys. Hi. <laughs> that is so official. I love it. No, no.
5: <laughs> Mike has a serious voice on.
3: Yeah, uh, it is my first question. Could you guys teach me how to say greetings in another language? If you know another language,
5: ooh,
4: Gosh, I well, we can like
5: in Vietnamese, which is yeah. fairly straightforward to follow. Uh, hello is Xin chào, Xin Chow. Xin, Xin chow. chow. Oh, Xin Chow. It's nice yeah. to meet
3: you. Xin chào uh, to you guys. <laughs> All right, we'll just dive right into it here. Here's my first question or first example here. I said, we do have a diverse group here between Dana, Molly, Fay, Natasha, Tanai, and myself. And I wanted to say if someone was the principal in this group, how would you go about making sure that this workspace environment is equitable for the teachers who are, let's say, here in our diverse group here?
0: I can jump in. And I think what's great is like Natasha and I both have worked together on a leadership team and we do a lot of EY12 work together, but we also have our specific remit in the elementary and the secondary. I can speak a little bit on the secondary side and I think there will be philosophical overlap. I think it's from my perspective, it sounds simple, but I think what is actually hard to do is really giving space for everyone to find and honor their voice. And some of that also has an impact on how the students are able to engage in the classroom. So I think our one of the things we work well as a leadership team is because we always come back to like how does our what is the impact of our work on the student experience? And so the striving the push for more diverse candidates is also designed to have a faculty that reflects the diversity of the classroom and they in turn then bring more diverse texts and resources. You know the 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 students are able to see themselves in the curricula, and I think that's one aspect of it, Mike. I hope that kind of answers the question a little bit. It's just giving and finding space for people to find their voice and and feeling that there's a, an opportunity to to really demonstrate their capacity and their interests and their passion and how we can leverage that in our school.
3: Thanks for that. Yeah, I get that.
5: I jump on that and just connect with that to say that. I'm going to misquote a colleague and a dear friend who used to say that you can, in in schools, you can either intentionally build the culture that you want, or you cannot, and a culture will build anyway. So I think when we're talking about diverse recruitment and bringing in people with different backgrounds, perspectives, experiences, you have to be really intentional in spelling out who we are, what we believe in, and then actually walking the talk. So what does that look like? Making sure, for example, you know, a, a granular example that our, the conversations and collaborative groups we enter into are scaffolded by norms, that we have protocols of how we engage with each other so that, like the name was saying, everybody has a voice and that we're listening. I think it's over time, it's been systematically upskilling all of our community into what it means to be truly inclusive what it feels like and giving people the space for when we get stuck or when there are tensions and how we might resolve those. And so I think part of at Eunice Hanoi, part of that culture building has been sort of grounded in our values of who we are as a school is then, and so it's kind of like the next thing, and so what? And so then how does that look like in our spaces and what impact does that have on kids?
4: Natasha, you made me think too about, so at one point in my career, I was interviewing a bunch of different candidates for our middle, opening we had for middle school principal. And we had two middle associate principals who are male. And so we had male and female candidates coming in for the middle school principal position. And I, so one of the questions I kept asking the candidates was, okay, if we were to hire you, cause we're looking for the best person, but how might you address the inequity of leadership? If, because our students, because, you know, we were to hire you, you know, specifically if it was male, like then we have an all-male leadership team. And I had a principal say, do you think students really notice? And it was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> if they don't see themselves as leaders, we have to think about like, who are we putting in front of them to model on a regular basis? And we also need to think about, I think in a lot of our schools We also have to be careful about front of house and back of house. The front Mm -hmm. of house often tends to be quite pale in complexion and very male. But like our curriculum people, admissions, um, student support services, that's where we tend to see more of the diverse roles and more genders represented. But our students don't know who those people are. And so who we're putting in front of them on a regular basis, it really does matter because we want them to see themselves as leaders, not just in schools, but in any capacity. I would would agree. I
0: I really like, Dana, that, that idea of the front of the house and the back of the house. And actually, kind of where I thought you were going, and I think this is something we experience in our context, is also many of our local staff really kind of have back of the house jobs. And, you know, it's been observed. and, and And I know, like, maybe the less formality allows me to share this, like my third grader asked recently, like, she's like, oh, I noticed that a lot of the TAs are Vietnamese, like, what's up with that? And I don't have an answer for that. And I think that's, you're right. So I think that illuminates even at an eight year old level, these things are highly observable. These are things that students recognize, and they are starting to internalize and build their own understanding of like, Power structures of like just processes like you know it's interesting I I think about my own experience and and I, we've talked a little bit about this informally about growing up in international schools and who were the people that I saw like I didn't really see I don't think really at any point anyone who looked like me in a leadership role I can't really think of one and what's fascinating is when I first got my first job in education was working at a very established, old-money Toronto school, all-girls school. I remember coming into the interview, and I feel like this is such a a poignant story about what representation can look like and how affirming it can be. A soon-to-be new colleague came down to the lounge where I was waiting for the interview. Indian uh, origin like myself just sat and chatted with me, and he was like just chatting with me about the school, and I thought that was my interviewer. So when the secretary came to get me, they're like, oh, Tanai, your interview's now. So I was like, Oh, I've just been chatting with Giles. I thought he's the guy, and they're like, "Oh, Giles!" Is like, no, 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 I just saw another brown guy. I just thought I'd come and say hello and and make you feel at home. And I was like, "Oh my God!" Like, it was such a like great, and it, you know, it's it's my first teaching job. Like, I'm fresh out of teacher's college. This interview like got a lot riding on it, and to have someone take the time to do that just really goes a long way. And that that was 15 years ago, and that's probably one of the most memorable and important. Like that's like before I even had my first teaching job, and how important that can be because. It really has stuck for a long time, and I share that story with anyone who I know that meets him about how important that was for me in my in my journey. So it, it really does matter. And I and I'll, I'll quickly say like when I was hired for the job at Eunice, looking at the leadership team, and honestly, like I think I said this to Natasha, seeing you there in in a similar parallel position was like okay, this will be great. Like I feel like there are people who the the school values great educators they give them the opportunity to shine and you had such a great reputation but just knowing that there was someone else who kind of like got it was really helpful like in terms of making affirming that choice and that decision so it goes a long way
5: for sure
3: are you an educator looking to elevate your career consider more than university your gateway to success in international schools they offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Moreland University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious US teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you.
4: So at the top of the podcast, Mike mentioned that I am uh, Molly Faye and I'm the voice of the audience, meaning that when they submit their questions, I have the privilege of asking them on their behalf. So today's question of the day is, can you provide insights into how technology and digital tools have been harnessed to promote inclusivity and equity within your school and any challenges or lessons learned from these efforts?
5: I think one of the things, uh, Malife, that's a good question, because it takes me straight back to recruiting through a global pandemic. And if the barometer was shifting, it's shifted completely now. I almost feel like the days of the face-to-face fairs are just one way of recruiting as opposed to the way of recruiting. And so from a recruitment perspective, it literally and figuratively opened the doors to anyone, anywhere in the world, being able to to talk to us and our entire process now being virtual means that we it was a level playing field for everybody you know and so certainly from a just from a recruitment process itself the technology has been a lifesaver and having been in the position of be recruiting myself over the years, that's oftentimes been a real problem because I, uh, with my passport, travel can be tricky just in terms of getting visas and and the length of time it takes. And so that's been a great equalizer uh, being able to just, you know, just as a school, our entire recruitment is pretty much virtual now.
0: Yeah, I mean I think what I absolutely I think that it has leveled the playing field on for the reasons you talked about passport access, the cost, time away to go on a recruiting trip. A weekend in Bangkok even from where we are is still money and and money uh, spent. One of the things that I, was, I, I don't know where where this came up. Maybe it was Natasha, we were having a conversation with other colleagues and thinking about like is there space for like AI to do some of the screening if we, if we were, I, and these are interesting things that would be part of the, the next iteration. But what I love about our process, even though it's almost all online, it actually is very humanizing in that sense. I think the human element of those interactions are retained. It just gives us a chance to really kind of like connect with people. And I do wonder now, like if we'll ever go back. To, I mean for certain positions of course, I think there's a baked in understanding you do need to be on campus if you're applying for a senior leadership role that's that that's a two-way street that there's no ways around that but yeah I, th- I think that's a really well uh, phrased way of stating it because it has allowed us to hire more diverse candidates you know who are younger in their careers who can take the time off who are a little bit uncertain people who have I think we have like three women who are single moms this year right. Mm-hmm. And who are, are who have joined our community. And I think about if they were have to do that process in person, like what is the impact for, you know, the practical needs of childcare, et cetera. So it's really leveled the playing field. I think that's a really good, a really great point.
5: I think also just a, from a digital technology piece, I think getting inviting people into our schools and we're able to really show who we are and what our learning spaces and our, that bigger culture piece looks like. I um, and really harnessing and I know schools across the world are putting time and effort into creating digital media that are bite sized that we can really use to say, hey, this is who we are. And this is this is what we're all about.
3: Yes, my next question was based on disabilities. If you guys have seen any strategies uh, that has been very effective, including disabled individuals.
0: I feel like I can speak to this. I don't know about in the in the candidates you've interviewed, Natasha, over the years, but Mike, and, and just to be perfectly honest, it's really mm-hmm. hard. We can look at our own, our own school space, and there are places where there's sort of greater accessibility than others, although in the aggregate, it's probably not going to like pass with flying colors in terms of being an equitable space for people who are unable to sort of get around, you know, who might have a, a disability with that. And then it goes back to something we talked about just in the webinar was actually around like, Hanoi is many things and and a lot of things on the plus side, but it is not an accessible city. It just simply is not a place where we can comfortably, I wouldn't look a candidate in the eye who expressed that they have a mobility issue and say, come to live in Hanoi because every place has stairs. You want to do anything, you got to go upstairs. Like you walk off the campus, the pavements and the roads are not designed for anything other than really walking, getting a ta you No, know, people here, for the most part, teachers don't have cars. Most people use scooters or motorbikes and that, or public, or when I say public transport, I mean, grab taxis, like those are just simply not designed to have the, and there's just no infrastructure for it. So the mm-hmm. short answer is I wish we could be better. And I think it's also incumbent and response. It's a, it's a responsibility on our part. When we talk about welcoming and onboarding people and successfully, we have to do it in in the environment that's, It sounds really reductive to say, but these are kind of the cards we're dealt. So how do we actually make the most of that situation, given that there are limitations that are truly beyond our control? And we talked about this in the circle of control little graphic in our webinar. Yeah.
5: I mean, I would add to that, Mike, for when you talk about people who have also we, we have hired in the elementary school in my time here, an amazing educator who was diagnosed with ASD as a young child. And that was an interesting experience because she brought such wealth to our school in terms of our understanding of and deepened many of our processes in our learning support department. And when she left, it was just because of the whole package of being in an Asian city and, you know, and like Tane was saying, not necessarily, it not necessarily being Uh, the easiest city to live in particularly if you know it's it's chaotic and noisy and and if you love that then it's beautiful and you get a lot of energy from it and if you need to be have green spaces where you can get to easily then perhaps that makes it harder
1: as an educational professional you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture and you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators senya international is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S E N I A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world.
4: You know, we had a, a great um, workshop with Jordy earlier this month. Anyway, he was talking about the fact that he wishes people would leave the decision. Also, he made a point of saying he wishes people would leave the decision up to him. So he's in a wheelchair. And he said, but sometimes like, so he was a presenter at the AAIE conference in February. And he said, you know, there was a stage and they hadn't thought about the fact of, can I get up the stage? So Mike came to the rescue and Mike built a ramp so he could get up there. But He's like, often I can figure out a way to get through it, but I want the choice up to me. And he's like, too often we tend to think about that. And he's like, but we also, he's like, there's a big difference in between visible disabilities and hidden disabilities. And he's like, so you just never know like what's in there. And actually, and, and you know, we are also, I think, and then I wrote down, like, as you guys were talking, there's also the visible disabilities are visible diversity and hidden diversity, right? So like there's all these different components and identities that we're bringing to the table as leaders, but those are so important in some ways, even the hidden ones are just as important for students to sometimes know. So they know that if they have those, they can also be a leader as well.
0: We've actually, one of the things I'm like super proud of, and this was spearheaded by someone that's no longer in our community, but the profile of the learner has shifted a little bit. Certainly, I think Natasha has been at UNIS longer than I have. But even in the last four years, you're seeing a greater expansion of learning support programs. And we're seeing more students with what were previously not visible disabilities becoming more visible for students with ASD who are on the spectrum. Students have really kind of very clear learning needs or learning profiles that are different than kind of like the average international school student that you're maybe more accustomed to. And what's been amazing is the opportunity for leadership and empathy that's come out of that. So we have a series of talks led by students who are part of our learning support program who are like, my brain is beautiful. And they're talking about what it's like to live with autism and what it's like to live with the ADHD and how that manifests. And and it just creates such a great community of empathy You understand what's happening. There were some visuals that I'd never really kind of clued into that I learned so much about, like just from our students. And one of those students in particular is actually like, we have this sort of grassroots kind of year 13 program, which we're trying to build out into something that's more systematic, but it's basically this idea of like a Eunice curated gap year. So that's one of the projects that I'm working on. And one of the students who sort of was part of this group loves Eunice and like this, that's his home. And he's back doing like mini internships with departments in the school because those are the teachers who just wanted him back. They're like, this student brings joy into our lives. We need to have him back. He's such a great part of our community. And I think it's not tokenizing because he's really just contributing and being part of it. We're looking at ways we can expand that role remuneration, you know, what are things that we can do to sort of really validate the great work that the student's able to do? But I think you're right. Those things, those elements of like what were previously a lot more below the surface or the stigma that surrounds it, which is also a really big part of the cultural element. And we, When students see someone who, again, it's like you can see the grown-up who looks like you, but then also the peer who has the courage to step up and say, even though my culture sometimes struggles with this idea of diagnosing mental health, or these sorts of now slightly more visible, I don't know what the right word is, but I think ASD, the disorder is is at the end, the D in that word, I think. So I'll use that word. That is just sort of transformative for the community. And that's really fantastic.
3: I would like the next question to come from Dana, because I'm not necessarily a parent, but I feel like parents always get left out.
4: Okay, so Mike just sent me a question. What strategies have you found particularly effective in engaging parents and the broader community in supporting inclusivity
5: and equity
4: initiatives within the school environment?
5: It continues to be high on our agenda as a school to continue to engage with our parents. We have a transitory population of students, about 25% turnover every year. And the challenge for us continues to be, bringing parents into an environment which oftentimes looks and certainly feels different from environments that they might have come from. And so an example is last year, one of our school operating regulations is around advocating and protecting and thinking about our LGBTQ plus community and what that might look like at our school and what we commit to. And it's an internal document that we have to guide our processes and it is a continual work to that parent engagement. And sometimes looks like a parent putting their hand up and asking a question as to why, why do you have this book in the library, for example, or this collection and bringing them in and, and having the time and space to have that conversation. Other times it is on both the secondary and elementary agendas is monthly having parents in to say, what do you want to talk about? What is on your agenda? And let us share with you, what this looks like, the PYP, the primary years program that we use in the elementary school, the capstone project is the PYP exhibition in grade five, and our students are, are think closely about the SDGs. And this is just an example of that parent engagement. And every single year, every year without fail, we will have students who are passionate about the LGBTQ plus community, and will have uh, their whole six to eight weeks of research has been around something to do with gender equality and it is for us it's a huge celebration and it raises eyebrows every year because our parent community is so diverse and comes from so many different places so i think it is continually living our values and being open to uh, bringing parents in and talking to them. I think there's just no, that's such an important piece of saying, let's have a conversation. What's on your mind? What's feeling uncomfortable for you right now? Let us help you understand why we choose uh, this particular course of action.
4: Natasha, you brought up something that I think is so important too, is like our parent communities in a lot of, a lot of the international schools is so transitory that you can have like 30% turnover every year So I feel as if often our schools forget that they are also a student in our school because if we educate them well, not educate them, not that they're not educated, we continue to educate them, right? We continue to empower them and help them see that this is the benefit of the international schools, right? It's all the different diverse backgrounds and all those different components. So I always feel like we forget when we think about our stakeholders, we think about the teachers, we think about the students, we also need to think about the parents, right? Because the parents will then take that knowledge to another school and to another country and to another place. And it just, it spreads. They're such a vital part of our school community.
5: Absolutely. And I think, Dan, just just to add to that, I think a really powerful way of engaging with them is letting the children speak. I mean, that's the most important way. You were commenting on my t-shirt earlier. And it's such, for me as a parent has been such an eye-opening experience, uh, watching my child be a part of the peace and justice community and listening to her advocate from a real space of belief and the school really in a very conscious way, upskilling her with IJ courses and other things that she's been involved in. So I think also, something that we continue to do like then I was saying the power in listening to those students present and our brains are beautiful is really Almost nothing else needs to be said because you just need to listen to what they're talking about.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Monez, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens.
0: My name is Scott Jameson, and I'm the Global Collaborations Lead for
2: Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at
0: existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs.
2: Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today.
0: At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future.
2: We look forward to working with you, and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add to all of those really thoughtful points would be it actually comes back to the fact that we have really diverse representation at our school amongst the leadership. And I think when I think about extending that to the members of our community who are quite forward-facing front of house, to use Dana's term, in terms of like the parents are engaging with the counselors, the parents are engaging with the deputy principals or the leadership, and without going into the number ticking or the tick boxing, like there are many identities that are represented and the intersectionality that is reflected in that leadership team and amongst the counseling team and learning support. I think it then becomes a little bit of like going back to what we said, A, students see themselves. And then it's also a reflection of the parents sort of walking the walk, right? When you go up to, and our community is very tight in the sense of like, I was joking with someone the other day. I can't sit on my porch and have a drink because there's like kids, they're like all the kids are like in the neighborhood. Right. But my point is that they see you and they see you in living your life freely and comfortably in a way that is an affirmation of your identity. Like it becomes a little bit of a harder thing as a, I, I think it becomes harder as a parent to say, we don't want to be here. We're not, we're not comfortable with this because they see it in all facets of school life in terms of the people that they interact with both formally and informally in, in our community and you hope is that all you can do is kind of grow and maintain and grow that right as our community transitions you know in the various iterations that it's going to look like but i've definitely had a parent come into a meeting with me and a colleague who who is also brown and was like wow like an indian parent would call came as like oh i've never had a meeting with two deputy principals who are also like who look and the parents and it goes back to like parents observe that. So I think that's a very, it's the most powerful unstated statement you can make as a school. Like it's a very hard thing to push back when you're saying, well, this is your, you're invalidating my identity, someone who you see interacting with and you trust me as a principal or a deputy principal that, that I think becomes harder to push back around that. Not that we don't have it. We do. But I do think like it's a little bit of walking the walk that goes a long way.
3: All right. Thanks so much, Natasha and Tanai. Looks like we're coming towards the end of our show here. But Natasha, just one last question for you. It's what's your favorite memory? Because Tanaya, I believe, shared his, which was a student coming up to him and just uh, greeting Mm -hmm. himself as another brown person. So do you have a favorite memory?
5: I do. I was at another international school before I came to UNIS. And it was where I got my first leadership position. I'm Indian and the school was in a national school in India. I was the first Indian national to have a leadership position in the school ever of any sort. And I think the our head of security and operations, it's a much respected gentleman. And he came to see me after the post had been announced to the faculty and to the community and it was very emotional, Mike, because he was teary and I was emotional because he was so delighted for me and for the school and what that meant. And as nervous as I was stepping into what, as Dan mm-hmm. said, it was a very, very pale uh, leadership team. I knew that it had struck a chord with all of, and I'm so glad that I happened It just the stars aligned, right? And I was in India at the time. And I think it meant a lot to the folks that I worked with. I carry that responsibility uh, heavily uh, even here in Vietnam I've run out of the number of times colleagues have looked at me and said you get it right you understand Uh, women colleagues in a way that a I mean I'm not Vietnamese but I'm Asian and I'm a woman and there's a sense of going oh thank god you understand even if sometimes I'm like actually I don't understand can you help (laughs) me understand it's that sense of there's somebody else here finally who that we can speak to but so thank Before
0: you for asking. Part I said I do that to you all the time. I'm like you get it, like, and then yeah. she's like, the, "Oh, but as a woman, I was like, oh, okay, no, I don't get that part,' but <laughs> I get like the other parts that you're you're talking about." So it's like, "Oh, she's talking about our conference." Oh, no, not so. Yeah, much.
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for sharing, guys. If you just wanted to let our listeners know where they can uh, reach you afterwards, whether you have a website or an email of sorts or social media,
5: I'm on LinkedIn. So get in touch, Natasha Krishna. Be very happy to connect that way.
0: Is Twitter still kosher? Like where are we at with Twitter, right? It's X. It's X. It yeah, exactly. I
5: don't know X. if it's kosher
4: <laughs> or not kosher. I'm like, like, but I use it, so... I know,
0: but you know what I would say is like, just as an aside, it's where I found my people and it's been kind of sad to see that shift. So I vacillate a little bit, but I am on LinkedIn Tanay, T A N A Y N A I K is my last name. And yeah, feel free to reach out and connect. I am on Twitter. I can, I'm looking to remember my user handle, but it's at Nike underscore Tanay. But like I said, I don't know how I feel about it these days. So
4: I know I'm conflicted too, but that's where I found my people and I need yeah. those people. And We have like one private chat too, a bunch of us and well, there's like, I think 40 of us on that chat. But anyway, so we were saying like, if one of us leaves, we all have to leave and we don't want to all leave. None of us have found something else that we want to use yet. So we're figuring it out. Fair enough. Fair enough.
3: Hopefully the owner of X hears this and does something about that. (laughs) Any last words? (laughs) Uh, for Elon Musk or
4: for-, <laughs> yeah, for Elon Musk, I'd say, you know, what, please sell it to somebody else. Sure, yeah. for,
0: sure. wanna, Get I out of keep, the way. I want to keep you solvent, guys. I want to keep you on the air. I don't think my words are going to be relevant.
3: Or- <laughs> oh, you too. Uh, no, Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. you guys are two powerful individuals. I want to say, continue on your journey, please. I am very delighted to hear what i heard today you went a little bit deeper than you know the normal course that we had so it's a joy to hear these different types of things and the individuals and the type of leadership roles that you guys hold it just does something for me and hopefully you know i can reach those types of roles one day but thanks thank you and, uh, thank you for the me. opportunity thank you very
0: much
5: appreciate your time thank you it's always a Sorry pleasure to guys
0: earlier but thank you all right.
3: Thank you so much tonight, and Natasha for sharing your valuable insights and experiences with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on EDU Learn. Ask me anything. And to the listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share the AMA with your educator friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Bye-bye for now.